Well, we're in 1 Thessalonians. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 today. We did chapter 1 last week. And uh, we're going to be doing the whole chapter. So uh, let's read verse 1. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in, in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Father, we thank you for the word of God and thank you for the reminder that our power and our strength only comes from you. And Lord, we can only accomplish the things of God by allowing you to move the Holy Spirit through us, in us and through us, to be used by you, a vessel of honor, honoring you, the King. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage people today, encourage their hearts that serving you is never in vain. And so, Lord, we ask for a special blessing now. Give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit says. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Paul, in Thessalonica, preaching truth, probably could sometimes get discouraged. I mean, this guy was beat everywhere he went, or run out, or thrown in prison, or all the above. Now, I think that we would have a tendency to say, enough is enough. But not Paul. Paul lived every day like it was his last chance to share the Gospel. He lived in expectancy that the Lord Jesus was coming at any moment. That's why he was so greatly used by God. When you don't think God's really going to come tomorrow, we tend to not deal with our sin. We tend to not serve God like we should out of love. And we tend to be sort of stagnant. Paul and the Thessalonians that we will find going through these two letters lived in an expectancy of Jesus coming at any moment. And Paul knew that serving God was never in vain. Nothing you do for the Lord Jesus Christ is in vain. The Word of God will not come back void. Your service to the King will never be in vain. If God calls you to do something and you do it, it's an awesome thing. But what you got to understand is that we don't always see the fruit. And sometimes we feel opposition when we do what God's called us to do. God says to you, go talk to that person. Share the Gospel. You're like, I don't want to talk to that person. That person's mean. He goes, I, I want them to know the Gospel. And you go over there and you share the Gospel in love and this person goes off on you and you, it almost feels dangerous. And you walk away going, I told you that wasn't going to work. 
And you may not even have shared the four spiritual laws with them. You may not have run them through the Ten Commandments. You may have not even given them an altar call prayer to pray with them. But, but the things that you said, you didn't think they took, but that person went home and wrestled with it and woke up in the middle of the night crying, giving their life to Jesus. See, we may not see the fruit, but we're not there necessarily to see the fruit. We're there to be obedient. When God tells us, hey, go do this, we go do it. I don't see the fruit or it becomes uncomfortable. That's His deal. We never know how someone's been affected by our ministry. We never know even the people that have harmed us or wronged us. I mean, Paul, what kept that guy going? Are you kidding me? What's your ministry? Oh, I go town to town. Um, I don't look for hotels. I look for prisons because that's probably where I'll be. I usually get the snot beat out of me. Um, I've almost died a few times. I've been beaten, thrown in prison, and then ran out of town. But people are getting saved. Who wants to sign up and go with me? But see, if we're selfish, we're just happy we've got our own salvation and we don't care about everybody else. Good luck to you. And especially if somebody doesn't want to receive it, you're like, okay, well, I tried. That was one time. No, God says go back and try. You have to have a love for the lost. A true transformation for a person coming out of the world and into Christ is a love for God and a love for the lost. There's people out there dying on this North Shore that are so called, caught up in worldly things and making money and being popular and having authority and power and they're just missing the boat. And the enemy, Satan, wants to keep them in all those ideals to keep them from receiving the truth and being born again. And we have a job to do. So when you serve God, it's never in vain. Whether it's, it's scrubbing toilets, doing someone's yard, even giving someone a cold glass of water. God sees it. It affects people. It turns their heart towards the true and living God. And it'll never be in vain. Paul was run out of Thessalonica within three weeks. And he saw such a move of the Holy Spirit that he appointed leaders in just three weeks and a church was started. And these letters that he wrote were letters of encouragement, the letters to clear things up, the letters to proclaim truth, and how blessed he was to hear that they were doing well. Can you imagine? Imagine going to Africa and for three weeks you preach the gospel. And, and within no time, a church explodes. I mean, by the third Sabbath, all of the village was coming out to hear Paul speak, and that got people upset. That got the Jews upset. That got all the people of the cults, the, the, the false religions that were there in Thessalonica, because it was a hubbub for commerce and market. It was a, a place that you know, had lots of people. And now they're all pouring out to hear Paul's message and, and people start getting jealous. Man, look at his things growing. People are leaving and go hear him. 
And so immediately the enemy comes into attack and it got so bad that they, they, they said, Paul, you got to get out of here. You and Silas need to go before something happens. They just come from Philippi. And Paul says, you know yourselves, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered spitefully before, spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. In Philippi, he led a lady named Lydia, a seller of purple, a wealthy, successful businesswoman to the Lord. And she was one of three people that were part of this startup of this church. The other two was a demon-possessed girl. And the other one was the Philippian jailer. And these were the key people that God used in Philippi. And Paul and Silas were beaten because when they delivered this young girl from these demonic spirits, it ruined her master's lifestyle, his income. And then he got everybody else outraged, and, and then they beat Paul and Silas, and then they threw him in stocks in prison. And, and then you guys know the story. The earthquake hit. God was listening. It was a it was a very intelligent earthquake because the only thing that really happened was that the cell doors opened and the chains fell off the people. Philippian jailer came out ready to kill himself because if any of the prisoners got away, they'd be put to death or he would serve their time or both. And so he's ready to kill himself and, and Paul says, don't kill yourself, we're all here. That's a move of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's a wake-up call when you're in prison and the earth quakes, but the only thing that happens is your cell door swings wide open and your chains fall off. That's like, whoa, what is going on here? And Paul says, don't kill yourself. And this is one of my favorite ways of people getting saved. The Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Just make it easy on me. I like that. When someone runs up to you and says, hey, how do I get saved? Oh, yes. And he leads them to the Lord. He leads the whole household. This man cleans up their wounds because they were beaten severely. And no doubt those wounds were still there when they got to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, he was wrongfully mistreated there and ran out of town. But Paul knows that none of it was in vain. And so... The first portion of this chapter, we're going to be looking at Paul's conduct. It was outstanding in my eyes. Paul, almost getting beaten everywhere he went, there might be a tendency for someone to say that was traveling with Paul, hey Paul, you know, maybe we ought to water down the message a little bit. What do you think? Tone it down a little bit because this isn't really working out everywhere we go. And Paul's like, no way. You can't water down the Word of God. That's the danger that's happening in the world today. A lot of times I've been accused of being harsh and even mean in my preaching. I don't think I am, but I can't judge myself. I think I speak the truth in love. 
But the thing is, is when you've got a church that's committed to teach through the Bible, you've got to hit everything in the Bible. And these churches that are avoiding teaching the whole Bible and just grab a few verses here and there each week and they give a, a cool message, but they're not dealing with the things that we need to deal with. And if you have never been offended in this church, you don't come very often. Because the Holy Spirit's going to offend all of us. It offends me. This, it's a two-edged sword. It goes out like this. You get cut in the heart, but then it comes back and it cuts me while I'm teaching. I'm like, really? I studied all week for this? For you to swing this whole message back around on me, Lord? And so many times when we're going through things with other people who have done us wrong, God turns it around and works something in us and we're like, really? <laughs> You're all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the Word of God will never come back void. When your life has been transformed by the Gospel, you can't water down the Word of God because lives are at stake. Yes, you're going to offend people. The cross is an offense. But you got people, dear people, friends, family that are going to hell. And, and you, you, in love, share truth. You don't water it down, but you might get an argument. But you know what? I'll tell you what. There's an old saying, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs and one yelps, that's the one that got hit. So when you're dealing with people that are just obnoxious and, and just vile to you when you share the Gospel, they're probably closer than you think. Because they've been wrestling with the same things you just told them. And you're not the first one to share with them. Your exhortation when you share the Word of God will be true. It won't be with error. It won't be unclean. And it won't be done with deceit. There's a lot of false religion out there that is deceiving people. They're telling them what they want to hear to get them involved and not really revealing the truth. There's groups out there that say they're Christians and that Jesus Christ is Lord, but they're not really revealing what they believe in. And if they did, you would know that's not our Jesus. Because they're deceiving people. They're lying. They're sharing uncleanness. and Their doctrines are full of error and deceit. God has entrusted you and me with the Gospel to speak truth. Not as pleasing men. That's what he says here. He says we were mistreated in Philippi. We had much affliction. Verse 3, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness nor with deceit, but we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the Gospel. Even so, we speak not pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. God has entrusted you with the Gospel. He's given you something to do. And God will test our hearts. He will ask us to do something for Him and, and then He'll see if we will obey. And the greatest way that you can ever serve God is to serve others. When you're, you know, God wants us to be obedient. God wants us to serve Him. But He says, listen, Here's how you do it. I want you to serve others and minister to others. I want you to be others-centered and not self-centered. And when we do that, when we serve others, we're serving God. And He'll test your heart. 
He'll say, what are you doing? How many times do I have to ask you? When are you going to walk away from that? Look what I've entrusted you with. The gospel, the power of God, the power unto eternal life, true salvation. Just open your mouth. When you see somebody that God wants you to share with, say, Lord, fill me afresh. I don't want to go talk to this guy on my own. And watch God speak through you and blow your mind. Is God testing your heart today? Will you be faithful no matter what the outcome? Even if it doesn't go well for you? Even if it gets violent? Is it worth it that you see people get saved? The question is, is do we fear man or do we fear God? The fear of man is a snare. Got a lot of people fearing men right now with everything that's going on in the world. Politics, government. Seems like our world's tur- our U.S. is turning to a communistic party. A lot of fear. But, you know, the problem is what that does to Christians, they start fearing man more than reverencing God. And they start worrying about man rather than pleasing God. The fear of man is a snare. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And it's not a fear like He wants to squash you. He loves you. He doesn't wait for you to mess up so He can stomp on you. The fear of God, the Word, is a, a reverence of how holy and just and pure God is. And that His Word is truth. And that truth will set us free. Paul pressed on, no matter what, to fulfill his calling. Are you fulfilling your calling today? Are you pressing on? Or are you someone that says, you know what, I did that for a while. I did that for years. I'm going to just back off a little bit. No. There's lives at stake. Your witness of just serving God affects people. You may be the only Bible that people read. In verse 5, he says, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. He says, listen, we didn't sugarcoat things. We we weren't buttering people up. We weren't trying to flatter people. You know, there's a lot of so-called people out there teaching the Word of God that they, they, they just butter up the, the church. They flatter them. They tell them what they want to hear. They fashion the message to appeal in such a way that people might come more. They might give more. And we can never do that. My job up here is to deliver the message. And whether people come or people go or they give or they don't give, that's not my deal. It's God's deal. And so I can't ever sugarcoat the message. And sometimes people will flatter you. We've all been flattered. And we like it. Somebody comes up, they say something nice about you. You're like, oh, you noticed that? Oh, my gosh. Is there anything else you've noticed about me? We we like it when someone knows. We, We get that. But when someone's flattering you in order to get something from you, it's a hidden flattery. It's deceit. Paul says we didn't do that. We didn't come and tell you how great you are. We just came and brought you the truth. 
We didn't flatter you with words, and you know there was no cloak of covetousness. What is that? No agenda. Paul wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't in it for the fame. He wasn't in it for the power, the authority. He was in it for Jesus Christ. He wanted all glory to go to God. He said, I didn't come seeking glory of men or you. I, didn't, I don't need a pat on the back or an attaboy. And so many times in ministry, and I, and I get it, we like to tell people thank you. We really appreciate you. We, we know that's encouraging. But if you're serving God in this church, you shouldn't need that. I'm going to say it to you anyway, because I'm stoked that you're helping, stoked that you're serving, seeing God moving in your life, but you shouldn't have to need that to continue on serving God. There's a lot of big ministries out there where pastors are making 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 million a year. And they're using God's Word to make themselves rich. And though the Word is so powerful, people are getting saved in those churches and they're actually serving with the right heart. God's going to deal with those men behind the pulpit that are using the pulpit for personal gain and wealth and power and authority. God forbid. I have such an admiration for pastors that work other jobs to continue in ministry. I don't, I, don't, I don't say anything against a pastor who is full-time at a church. There's nothing wrong with that. And we're going to get into that as he says that there's an obligation. And matter of fact, he, he says that there in uh, verse 6, he says, nor did we seek glory from other men, either from you or from others, that we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. They had an, they had an obligation to take care of Paul. But Paul wouldn't allow him to because he didn't want them to think that he was in it for the money. And so a church has the responsibility of taking care of the pastor. I get that. And it should be that way. But I have a great admiration for those pastors that are willing to work other jobs to keep the ministry going because their heart is for Jesus and for the people. And that was Paul's heart. He would labor and toil night and day so nobody could say he's in it for the money. Because these were the rumors that were rolling around. And this is why he sends this letter to clear up his name. I know you guys are hearing, I was in it for the money. I was in it for the glory. in it for the, the pat on the back. I was in it for the power. For the cash. But he says, you know that that wasn't the case. We worked day and night. We didn't ask anything of you except to listen to our message about Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen on the third day. And if you put your trust in that and ask Him to save you and repent of your sins, you're born again. It's a simple message. Don't tell me you can't share it. Because if you understand how you got saved, you can share the Gospel with somebody. How would you get saved? I repented of my sins and asked Jesus in my heart. I believed that He was God. He created all things and He died for my sins on the cross, rose on the third day. Okay, go share that. That's how easy it is. But don't give up. Paul had no motive other than sharing the gospel of Jesus to see people get saved. He wasn't interested in money and stuff and he wasn't going to water down the message and, and fashion it in the way which makes people feel good. 
You know, there's a lot of churches today that won't talk about sin because it, it makes people leave. But we need to deal with our sin. Because if you're living in a lifestyle of sin, God says you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're fooling yourself. You're not really born again. You think you're born again, and your life hasn't changed one bit, and you're actually living in more sin. He said you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's not a comfortable message. That upsets people. But I'd rather have you hate me and go to heaven than to love me and go to hell. I have to give you the truth. And the truth will set you free. He wasn't seeking the glory of men. He wasn't asking for support. He was doing it because he was persuaded by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He was compelled. The power of Christ constrained him. What are you doing today? And why are you doing what you're doing? Is it for Jesus? Is it for your glory? Or is it for His glory? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. But Paul came in humbly. He says there in verse 7, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the Gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Paul, he's only been there three weeks. Have you ever met somebody who you never met before? They're visiting here, and you meet them at church on a Sunday, and next thing you know, you feel like family? They may even be from another country. And you're like, we're family. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you got more in, 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 in common with them than you do some of your family. That's the power of God. Paul witnessed the move of the Spirit so mightily in three weeks, a church was birthed and grew into this giant fellowship. And he says, you became very dear to us and we, we nourished you and cherished you like a mother does to her child, caring for them night and day. And then he says there in um, verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the Gospel of God and you are witnesses and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how to, we exhorted and we comforted you and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And so now we come to this portion of Scripture where Paul not only says that he's loving and cherishing them like a nursing mom, but he says, I'm also a father. Because you know that a mom does certain things that dads don't do. And a dad does certain things that a mom doesn't do. And the two become one and complete themselves. And so mom is that cherishing, nurturing, nurturing, nursing, caring, loving, taking care of the child, but then the dad helps that child to grow up. 
to exhort that child, to charge every one of them as a father does his own children. That there's certain things that, you know, when dad's coming, you change your tune, don't you? Like, you know, you might push it with mom. But you know, when dad's got to that point, you're like, ooh, boy, I better watch out. Dad's serious. And that's what a dad does. He helps his children to grow up. And so what does a dad do? How does he exhort, comfort, and charge his children? He does it in the way that they would walk worthy, verse 12, of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. A dad's job is to make sure that his children are walking with the Lord. Walking worthy, worthily. Paul, hearing the rumors going around about himself, reminds them that he labored night and day that he wouldn't be a burden to anybody. To settle the rumors, he never asked for money. That he cared for them like a mother and a father. And Paul wanted nothing from them except for them to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as we get to this next portion of Scripture, he shares with us their conversion. Look at verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which is also effectively works in you who believe. That's an important Scripture right there. Paul said they received the Word of God and they welcomed it. Have you welcomed the Word of God into your life? Completely. I talk to a lot of people out there, they haven't welcomed the Word of God into their life. They said, well, I don't trust the Bible. It's written by men. So I'll say, well, what do you trust? Well, I've been really looking into this and, and I read this book and wait a minute. You read a book written by men? And you're trusting that? Somebody who writes a book and then later on revises the book and says, you know, all these things that I said were absolute, they're not absolute because I've, I've now come to find that these things are different. And then, they, and then years later, they've got to write another book because everything changed again. The Bible never changes. This is the Word of God. It's powerful. It, it's written by 40 authors empowered by the Holy Spirit who wrote this book over a 1,500-year period. Many of them never knew of each other, never had any contact with each other, and they wrote the same thing. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know why else I believe this is the Word of God? Because everything it said it's going to happen, happened. It's, it's never been wrong. Empires that would rise and fall, they happened. Even Daniel was prophesying to the leaders that, hey, here's what's going to happen. Let me just tell you ahead of time, and it came to pass. So I have no problem when he says he's coming for his church in the clouds. We're going up soon. I got no problem. He says he's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. I got no problem with that. He said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And he says he's going to set up his kingdom. I'm right there. Because I believe this is the Word of God. He said in verse 14, For you, brethren, 
became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus Christ and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to Gentiles that they may be saved, so also to fill up a measure of their sins, but the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Paul says some heavy things right here. Number one, he talks about that these guys are imitators of the church of Jesus Christ. In what way? That they're suffering persecution and they're still going forward. They're like, shake it off. Keep moving for Jesus. But Paul makes this statement that is probably the strongest statement I've ever seen him make towards the Jews in Israel. He says, that they had killed both the Lord Jesus Christ and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. Why? Because they're forbidding them to share the Gospel to the Gentiles and to others. Do you know there's countries right now that are forbidding to share the gospel, you could be put to death for it. And God says their sins are piling up on them. And God is going to deal with it. Listen, it's one thing to rip people off for money, to rip people off for stuff. But when you rip somebody off spiritually, I don't want to be in your shoes. If you're trying to forbid somebody from receiving the truth, I don't want to be in your shoes. There's a lot of that going on today on this island. People that want you to join their cult, but they don't want to hear about anything you have to say. And they've taken the Scriptures and they twisted it. And they say, oh, you can't understand the Bible unless you understand our book. I don't need your book. And the stuff that you're saying you never would have got from just reading the Bible. Read your Bible. This is all you need. This is the only book you really need. Read your Bible. It's got everything in it. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, what about this? It's in there. Well, what about... It's in there. It's in there. You just didn't know that because you haven't read it. Too many people read the verses they want to hear and then they disregard the ones that deal with them. We've got to read the whole counsel of God. He says that they tried to forbid us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. God is going to deal with them. In this last portion from 17 to verse 20, the end of the chapter, Paul shares his heart that he's longing to be with these believers again. He misses them. He says in verse 17, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more greatly, more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, 
but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. Wow, what a statement. Paul had such a prayer life. He truly, deeply loved these Thessalonians. He truly, deeply cared for them. He said, you're our crown, our joy. That all he was interested in was getting to heaven and seeing them right there. That's his joy. That's his hope. Seeing people saved, that's, that's what he lived for. That's what he hungered for. To see people turn their life to Jesus Christ. That was his whole goal. That's what was the driving force between the, between, in the Apostle Paul to be able to give the Gospel, see people get saved, and even get beat down, thrown in prison, and just move off to the next city to have it done again. The power of Christ constrained him. He says, well, I'm beat. I'm tore up pretty bad. But you know what? I think I can make it to that next city. Because there's people that need to hear the Gospel. How do you stop that? You can't stop a guy like that. Because what would he say to you? To live as Christ, to die as gain. What's the worst thing you can do to me? Kill me and send me off to glory? He longed for them. Now, I find something here interesting in that it says that he attempted to come time and again. But it says Satan hindered him. Did you know Satan wants to hinder you? You know, I, I know that every one of you have thought about doing things for God. And then Satan hindered you. Ah, uh, you don't have time for that. What? Wednesday study? You went Sunday. What are you, a fanatic? Or every time you, wanna, you feel like coming, you're like, you don't feel good. Or I'm tired. Guess what he's going to make you every Wednesday night? Not feeling good and tired. Because why? It works. But you just get in the car and you come. Nobody, nobody ever said they wished they'd never come to church. They're always so stoked they made it. It was always hard for people to get here, but once you got here, you were stoked you came. Because there was a move of the Holy Spirit. But the enemy will hinder us. The word is, is a roadblock. But you ask yourself, listen, Paul was an apostle of God. How can Satan hinder an apostle of God? The more you step forward for the work of Jesus Christ, the more attacked you'll be. You want to sign up? I'll tell you what, it's worth it to see people saved, to see families healed, to see God save a drug addict, an alcoholic, or someone that's violent. Oh man, it's so worth it to see that. So worth it to serve the true and living God. But when you step out in faith, as soon as you step out in faith, you're going to get hit. Because Satan's not going to let up on you. He's going to try to hinder your work. So what did he do? I don't really know exactly, but apparently he kept him from coming. Now Paul, I think in Acts chapter 20, does make it back to Thessalonica. But at the point that he wrote this letter... He tried and he tried again and he couldn't get there because Satan was hindering. 
And sometimes when Satan hinders our ministry, sometimes he's effective because we give up. But here's the real question. Was Satan successful in hindering the work of the Lord? No. No. Did you know Satan can't make you sin? That's one of the things he's not allowed to do. He can't make you sin. He just puts bait out there for you. You take it. But he'll put roadblocks out there for you to try to stop you. And you just go around them. Keep going. He's going to try to hinder you, but he can't stop the work of God. I often think it must be really hard to be the devil. To just fight God every single day and still lose every single time. And the stuff that God would allow him to do, Satan thinks he's actually stopping or hindering something, but it it goes to the furthering of the kingdom. (laughs) Think about it. Satan thought he had it nailed down when Jesus was on the cross. And then Jesus gave up the ghost. He died for our sins. The earth quaked and all the demons were like, well, that can't be good. And then to find out on the third day when He rose from the dead that they actually helped Jesus fulfill His call. Oh, that must just really rock the enemy. It seems that Satan hindered Paul from coming back to see them. So what does God do? God says, Paul, write him a letter. Matter of fact, write him two. This would be Paul's first letters ever written. I think James was the very first one to write. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But this would be the very first time for Paul to start writing letters when he couldn't get to a place and he was concerned by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul started writing letters to the different churches. And and think about that that millions of people have benefited from Paul's writings and from the other apostles. Because these letters, we have them all right here. So he couldn't go back to Thessalonica to deal with a handful of people, but instead he wrote these letters which reached millions upon millions upon millions upon, maybe billions. You can't stop God. Let's close with this, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy? Our crown of rejoicing, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. You guys are um, my glory and joy. watching God work in you. Seeing you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior. There is nothing better than that. That's what I'm here for. To see lives transformed. Paul says everything that he went through, the beatings, the prisons, and running out of town, he said it was all worth it to see lives changed. And that's the most rewarding thing for me as a pastor to see life change. What could be greater in life 
than to be used by the true and living God to speak truth into people's lives and see their lives transformed. For You are our glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank You. You are so good. So, so good. Lord God, I, I pray that You would give us strength, Lord God. To put on our armor, even as we go out right now, to serve You, the King of Kings, to honor You, to obey You, and to see lives transformed because we shared the Gospel. Give us divine appointments today to just simply teach the Gospel simply. To share. And you may be here today and you don't know Jesus. Why don't you just pray this prayer in your heart right now? You might be listening online. You might be watching on YouTube. Why don't you just pray this prayer right now? Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. You're seated in the heavenlies. I believe that you're the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through you. Lord Jesus Christ, save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. Now ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to go out and live for God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys.